Welcome to a message by Highway Christian Community. Highway Christian Community is a church in Pinetown pastored by Steve and Janet Wheeler, whose vision is to make disciples. You can visit their website at www.highway.org.za. We hope that today's message enlightens the eyes of your heart to know the goodness of God and awakens you to live your God-given purpose. Enjoy. Well, a very good morning to all of you who are listening in this morning by way of radio and those of you who are streaming live to our broadcast this morning. We just want to extend a real uh, love and appreciation for uh, all those behind the scenes that have been working so hard over this time. There's a feeding scheme taking place at the moment over at Lahi Park. It's been quite novel getting to the church in the mornings. I am allowed as I have a permit to drive there. But to see the activity and all the fun that goes with the preparation of the food and the setting aside parcels to be delivered both to the homeless at Lahi Park. There are around, as I said, 200 folk. And then also a number of people in the congregation that are receiving at this time. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all those who have gone the extra mile to do this. And also to the leadership, the behind the scenes, following on the WhatsApp groups. I'm amazed to see community happening at such a wonderful level. And to all of us today, Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful, that your word is going to achieve its mark in our lives. So I want to ask you to, if you don't already have your Bible in front of you, why don't you get it? You know, we're so spoiled when we get to church and we have the words come up and even on live streaming, we could put the words up. But this morning, I'm feeling to ask you to get your Bible. Open your Bible in front of you and read for yourself from the scripture. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 16, a passage that's really impacted my heart this week. In verse 17, where Jesus blesses the disciples because they had an understanding of his Messiahship. And he says to Peter on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Such a powerful message this. I want to just pause for a moment and think about his words, I will build my church. You see, Jesus didn't say, I will build my church during good times. He didn't say, I will build my church during prosperous times. You know, when things are going well and the church bells are ringing and we say, yes, that's when he's building his church. No, the people he's speaking to here were about to go through one of the most brutal persecutions known to the church. During the 60s and 70s and the 80s AD and right up to the destruction of the temple, the church were martyred and persecuted and brutally set on flames and it was during this time that the church exploded we see through scripture and through church history how the church is the genius of god it it seems to adapt and evolve and even multiply in the most desperate times so jesus says i will build my church 
And that's not conditional to the economic or the social political climate that we're in. And I want to draw your attention to, to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 and verse 16, where Jesus says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. In John 12, verse 32, Jesus says, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So we see that Jesus is building his church. He says people were forcing the way into the kingdom. And he says, when I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. But I want to ask you this question. If Jesus is so irresistible, that every time he's lifted up, people would be drawn to him. And like it says in the book of Acts, that daily people were being added to the church. Let me ask you, why aren't we seeing that today? Why aren't we seeing this numerical explosion of converts into the church? Could part of that answer be found in the fact that Jesus said the law and the prophets will be preached until John, but then the kingdom will be preached? That's how Jesus is building his church, not on the message of the law and the prophets. The message of the law and the prophets was to preempt the coming of Messiah. It was to establish the priesthood with its sacraments. It was an inferior covenant, the writer of Hebrews says. It was a covenant of do this and do that and then God will bless you. But the covenant that Jesus came to inaugurate was a completely superior covenant. His blood, a superior payment for which the blood of goats and bulls could not compare. So Jesus comes and he says the law and prophets have been fulfilled. The religion of do's and don'ts and the religion of contractual relationship with God that's based on if I do, he will do. If I don't do, he will do. Has been submerged into a covenant where Jesus says, I made the covenant for you. I lived your perfect life that you could never live. I'm the only one who deserves your blessing, says Jesus. And the day you died and you were buried in baptism and you received his spirit, the Bible says you became one spirit with him. Amen. That is the good news of the gospel. Many people go to church and they just still hear the message of the law and the prophets. You see, the message of the law and the prophets was just to tell you how God dealt through a rebellious and obstinate nation, Israel, but how God, through them, was going to inaugurate a new covenant based on better promises, based in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that message was proclaimed as the good news. Many churches, I think, people feel more like they've been to a firing range at the end of the sermon than having been in a community where there's hope and good news. You see, if the good news doesn't sound too good, it's probably not the good news. Now, I'm not for one minute saying that non-believers shouldn't repent, because of course they should repent. I'm not for one minute saying that non-believers shouldn't be made aware of their sin through the law. Of course they must. That's the purpose of the law. It's to lead us to Christ. But once we've come to Christ, we come into freedom. 
Once we've come to Christ, we come into liberty and we no longer feel like we are captives and imprisoned to any system of religion. Jesus called this the good news. Now, it's interesting that the word that he uses is the word ecclesia for church. When he says church, it's the Greek word ecclesia. It was a word that we only find a few times in the New Testament. And if it's such a big deal that he's going to build his church, you could ask, why didn't he spend more time elaborating? Why didn't the New Testament writers spend more time expounding on the church, other than by inference that letters were written to church? And I, I, I think part of that answer is because the people of Jesus' time were very familiar with that word. They knew what an ecclesia was. Ecclesia was simply a called out people that represented a certain institution. In this case, the Roman government. And uh, Sir Ramsey, uh, William Ramsey, uh, you may be familiar with him on Blue Planet on DSTV, very astute scholar. And he studied the Roman uh, governments and history. And he, he said this, that a ecclesia was a group as small as two or three people that were gathered anywhere in the world and it constituted a conventus. On a local, as a local expression of Rome, the power and presence of the Roman government, the emperor was in their midst. Did you get that? So this conventus of two or three people gathering was known as an ecclesia. It represented the authority of the empire. So much so, you'll remember with me, in Acts 16, where Paul was arrested and thrown into prison, just before he was beaten, they, they found out that he was actually a Roman citizen, and the centurion and the Roman magistrate panicked. Because they were now in a conventus. They were standing with a Roman citizen and they had not had due course of the law of the land worked out. He needed a fair trial. He needed a hearing. There was a process, a legal process to go through. And they hadn't done that. And that's why the magistrate was trembling. You see, so strong was this understanding that where two or three citizens of Rome gathered, they represented the cause of the empire. To wage war on two or three Roman citizens was in effect to wage war against the Roman might. So the disciples and those around Jesus understood when he used this word ecclesia. I'm going to build my ecclesia. And then listen to this. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 18. And I beg your pardon, chapter six, chapter, chapter 18, yes, go to chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and, and look at this now in verse 17, verse 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, that if two or 
three of you agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Do you see that? Do you understand that heaven is using the church as its instrument to inject the message of the kingdom into the dough of society. And it's through this ecclesia, when they come together, two or three, that Christ says, I am in your midst. I am present with you. The government of heaven is on your side. You stand there as ambassadors representing the high court of heaven. Wow, this changes our view about the scripture. Jesus says, whatever you bind. You see, he didn't say, go and do this in your own authority. He said, all authority is given to me. Therefore, I say to you. Jesus didn't send us just on a great commission. He sent us on a great partnership. Because he promised that wherever we go, till the end of time, he will be there with us. And we form a Corpus Christi, a Conventus, where our words, lining up with his words, bring heaven's authority, not only into the earthly realm, like the Roman Empire, but he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That means we are operating at a double-fold authority. Because we are speaking to things that are unseen, spiritual activity and mischief in the spirit realm that we are saying, stop, enough. And the outworking of that is demonstrated in the physical universe. Wow. The authority of believers when they come together. Like I said just now, Jesus taught little on the Ecclesia because I understood it. But he taught a lot about the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, unlike the law of the, the Old Testament and the prophets, which only spoke about the then and there and the what should come in the future, the kingdom of God is the now. It's what's at hand. It's what we experience in this life. Jesus' good news is the kingdom has come. The kingdom is at hand. You no longer have to feel inferior when you stand in the presence of God. Because if you have been born again into this kingdom, you stand without condemnation, without guilt, and without fear. This was his instrument that permeated the Roman world of its day. So much so that within a hundred years, Paul could say, uh, well, he didn't say, he said after 57 years, this gospel has been preached throughout all Southern Asia in just a short period of time. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Samaria, and then the ends of the world. If Jesus had chosen the instrument of the temple, it could never have catalyzed as quickly. If Jesus had used the, the, the model of the synagogue, it could never have perpetuated so quickly because it would have been laden down with, with land and buildings and uh, salaried star, uh, priesthood and all that. To export and to multiply that takes so much effort. But this ecclesia could 
penetrate into the very underbelly of the Roman Empire. And within a short period of time, Paul is seen as a father, an apostolic father, writing to the church that's gathered in homes across the known world. We see, I was on Facebook the other day. I think we've all had an overdose of Facebook and three weeks ago I didn't know what Zoom was. But hey man, I'm zooming around at the moment, having conversations and having conference calls at the moment. And uh, anyway, on, on Facebook, I saw this little slogan. It's a conversation between the devil and God. And the devil says, I'm closing down all the churches. And God says, I'm opening millions of new churches. I love that. It's like it's like Satan overplayed his hand. It's like he thought, hey, I'm going to bring something that's going to keep the believers apart. But like we've seen through history, as we've seen through the book of Acts, the church rises up and adapts and copes and multiplies in the midst of these things. I think the devil has overplayed his hand. And if you can just bear with me for this illustration as I take you back to 1995. The World Cup Rugby. Francois Pinot and the Boca. And there they went into the final as underdogs because New Zealand was pumping. New Zealand were unbeatable. Joe Maloma could just walk over six people without even taking a breath. And here we were in the final and it looked like all was lost until that last dropkick. Do you remember? Can you remember where you were when that last drop kick took place? I was sitting in my lounge in Pretoria with a group of our leaders from our church sitting around watching the game, holding our breath. And Joel kicked that ball. And like it took hours as that ball tumbled through the air. It seemed like a never ending journey as it spun up. Is it gonna, is it gonna get through? Yes! And the eruption of joy. But I want to contrast for a moment. Do you remember the look in the New Zealand faces? It was like flabbergasted. They stood there. Their jaws dropped. They were like that proverbial cow in a hailstorm staring at a closed gate. They stood there. Their jaws hung. They couldn't believe what had just happened. I want to project that picture on how Satan felt when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. I am going to take back what was stolen, what the enemy legally stole. And in the temptation of Jesus, when Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms, Jesus didn't argue with him because legally Satan had taken all the kingdoms. They were handed over to him. And, and, and Jesus waited for the right time to say, it is finished. Jesus is building his church. And Satan's gates cannot hold captive those who Christ is setting free. My friend, this is the good news. This is the news that we still call to preach from our bedrooms, from our dining rooms, from our TV cameras, wherever we go. The Ecclesia is not a prisoner of war camp that is waiting to be delivered at the rapture bus stop. It's not sitting around saying, well, I hope Jesus comes soon because 
hold the fort for I am. And we think we are required just to sit back as prisoners in a prison of war camp. No, my friend, we have got an advantage to enforce the victory that Jesus found on the cross. And you might be sitting in your lounge right now. You might be sitting listening to this radio or uh, watching the broadcast and you think, but Steve, I'm alone here. What can I do? I'm not even constituting an ecclesia. Well, let me interrupt that and say, right now, I stand in agreement with you. Right now, those listening to the sound of my voice, those seeing on streaming right now, I want to say to you, I'm in agreement. On earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is no fear. So I agree with you that all fear will be displaced right now by joy, by peace, by love, by grace. Right now, whatever you're facing, even physical pain in your body, even uh, confusion over what's happening in the lives of your children and those around you, I want to agree with you right now and say, the kingdom of God can break in to your life with righteousness, peace, and joy. Right now, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth, and we bind earth's lies, and we say they bound in the heavenly realms right now. And to those of you who are fortunate to have a few family members or a few friends gathered around you at this time, what a privilege. I want to remind you again, as you take the cup, as you take the bread, as you sit around and say, Lord, we lift this up. You have formed a conventus. You have formed a corpus Christi. You are now the church meeting in your home that has been planted and commissioned and sent right now out of uh, this local apostolic house of highway and uh, and the other apostolic churches that are relating around us. And you have been delegated authority to bind on earth to see it bound in heaven, in Jesus' name. You don't need a theological degree to do that. You don't need to even go to seminary for five years. I mean a seminary for five years. You just need to take the words of this book and say, Lord, I believe that on earth as it is in heaven, we are not a prisoner of war camp, but we are the body of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia. And we are proclaiming the kingdom. I don't know how much time we got left this morning. I wanted to keep it to about 25 minutes. So have an awesome day. God bless you. And we'll be communicating shortly about our next step. We're taking next week. I want to talk around how the Ecclesia advances the kingdom of God. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. If you've never committed your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and you ask yourself, if I were to stand before God today, what confidence do I have that I will spend eternity with them? If you ask that question and there's any uncertainty, any shadow of doubt, Let me tell you today, 
you're not the first person to ask this question. There was a man in Jesus' day by the name of Nicodemus. He came to the Lord at night and asked Jesus, how can a man enter into this kingdom? And Jesus said, you have to be born again. You see, my friend, every person who calls themselves a Christian, a believer, had to come to that point where they were born again. To be born again doesn't mean that I belong to a certain church group. It doesn't mean I've been through certain rituals of religious activity. It doesn't even mean that I am present in church every Sunday. What it means is I've come to a place of knowing that God so loved me that he sent Jesus Christ to be my saviour, to take on my fallenness, my sinfulness, and pay the full price. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was much greater a sacrifice than what your sin deserved. Jesus was an overpayment. It would be like tipping the car guard a million rand. It would be something exorbitant and, and unbelievable. This, my friend, is what Jesus did at the cross for you and me. And when we believe that it only is through what he has done, it is only through that payment that I am rendered righteous in God's presence. Only then, when I call out for that free gift of forgiveness and righteousness, that my spirit that has been dead and separated to God gasps at the first breath of fresh air and comes alive, the Bible says. Made alive, joined together with the Lord. And it might not be accompanied by great emotional catharsis. It might not be accompanied by goosebumps and tears. But more important than that is that God has promised that a miracle takes place when we put our faith in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, recognizing that nothing else could cleanse our consciences from rebellion and from dead works. That only our faith in Jesus can save us. The moment that truth connects in my dead spirit, some miracle happens. It's called regeneration. It's called the new birth. And right now, I want to encourage you, wherever you're sitting, just in the quietness of your own heart, say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that your death was a substitute for my eternal separation from God but that your resurrection meant that I am brought into a new life in the kingdom of God. That new life begins right now as I put my faith in you. Jesus, your blood alone is payment sufficient for my rebellion, my obstinance and my transgression against the courts of heaven. I surrender, I lift up my hands to you and I say, Holy Spirit, even right now, as I'm praying this prayer, as I'm calling out to God, Holy Spirit, would you come and make this a reality for me? Make it 
personal and intuitively that I may know, Holy Spirit, that this gospel is the solution and the answer to my separation from God. I come boldly now and say, thank you, Lord, for the free gift that you've given me through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for spending this morning with us, listening to the broadcast. You prayed that prayer. Please get on the phone to a friend that you know is a believer and tell them about it. Contact the church. Go online. Connect through the Facebook. But share your newfound faith in Jesus. And please get on the phone and contact somebody who just needs a word of encouragement at this time. Those of you who are listening that are part of the Highway Church in Pantown, I just want to extend love from Janet and myself and the leaders here. And just to assure you that you're in our thoughts and prayers, please contact one of the leaders if you haven't been contacted or you have not been connected. Let someone know how you are, where you are, and let's get connected in, either through WhatsApp or through SMS or through Facebook or somehow. Let's stay connected together at this time. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. And I hope that I can share with you again soon. Amen. That was a message from Highway Christian Community, a church in Pinetown pastored by Steve and Janet Wheeler. You can download this sermon and find other resources by visiting www.highway.org.za. Until next time, may you know that God loves you unconditionally and He has a divine purpose for you.